Life Audio. Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and this podcast is where you'll find the space to clear your head and calm your heart. I'm so glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Well, welcome to Rachel Wojo's Untangling Life podcast. And today I am thrilled to have Brandy Wilson with us. Hey, Brandy. Hey, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. My privilege for sure. Brandy is the leader, founder of an organization called Leading and Loving It. And I have to admit, I'm a bit of a reluctant leader. I'm more on the Moses side of leadership. <laughs> same. I'll say same. <laughs> Would you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to dive right into our conversation today because you and I met way back years ago. And I was thinking about this this morning. The thing that we have in common, well, there are many things that we have in common, but there is one thing that we really have in common. And that is both of us wound up in a place we never dreamed we would be of, we never wanted to be in. And that was a place of being not just divorced, but a single mom. Mm -hmm. And so... Neither one of us ever saw that coming. So that is one of the common things that we have. And then the other commonality about that is that we were both married to preachers. Now, my situation was quite different because my preacher was not pastoring. You, on the other hand, were (laughs) widely in the public eye with being the wife of a mega church pastor. I was looking at one of the quotes. I thought I would begin with this. It's called Better Than Okay, which what a great title. But <laughs> Thank you. It says, if I, if we could, I'd sit across from you at a quaint little coffee shop in my hometown and listen to you share your disappointment here, hurt, fear, and anger. The opportunity to sit across from you and say, me too, would be a gift to hold space for you to share how you arrived at this undesirable title of divorced. Since we probably won't get to do that opportunity, though, if you're in Nashville, let me know. I'm going to do do my best to pour my me too into the words on the following pages. And when I read that, I thought, oh, man, I am not letting the opportunity pass by me to have this conversation. I even brought my coffee today just to show you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wondered if you could just. In a nutshell, share with us, for those who are hearing about you for the first time, how you landed in this place of this deep sorrow and grief of processing divorce. Yeah. I'll give a little backstory to get us there. I married my college sweetheart. We had dated for three years in college. A few months before we actually were married, we we started a church in Kentucky, right outside of Bowling Green. We had gone to Western Kentucky University, go Hilltoppers, um, and planted a church there, stayed for five years. And then in 2001, our first child was born and we moved to Nashville right before he was born. Um, and in 2002, planted, started Cross Point Church, which is, you know, still going today. I'm super grateful for the fact that the church is still going and healthy and doing well. That's not always the case, but I feel like that's a gift. And we were there for 14 years. 
And in 2016, my husband at the time chose to walk away from the church and the ministry there and our marriage and our family unit that we had created. And, you know, Rachel, I think we both know that once your life falls apart publicly, it's been falling apart behind the scenes for a really long time. But I still never expected the implosion that was my life. So uh, I, I legitimately went from being surrounded by thousands of people one weekend to the next weekend, only talking to three people and my therapist. Um, the church was very large. So the news was, you know, um, on the front page of the Tennessean. It was covered by the local radio or TV stations, radio stations. Um, and people were watching to see why life was falling apart, why there was a sudden resignation. So I did feel like all eyes were on me. That's not necessarily um, a great feeling for someone who's going through a lot of trauma and tragedy. So that was um, very difficult for me to deal with because when you walk through something like that, you actually have more questions than you have answers. And all the people you come into contact with have are answers. So that's one of the reasons I really pulled back and I talked to three people and my therapist for quite a long time. So I found myself at 41, 42, just totally starting over. Life as I knew it had ended and um, the pieces of my life had totally fallen apart. But there's good news when your life falls apart because you get to put the pieces of your life back together the way you want. So I had that ability to be able to start over. However, that was not a quick process. So as I give that little synopsis, it sounds um, way cleaner and easier than it might have been. There was a lot of grief and um, heartbreak and there was, you know, manipulation and recovering from betrayal and um, just kind of getting to know myself again and getting comfortable in my own skin and figuring out what do I want with my life? What do I actually need? Um, and, and who am I? And because who am I? Yep. your identity is so much of being in the church, being the pastor's wife, serving all of those titles that go along with that and the labels that go along with that. And suddenly all of that is ripped away from you. Right, right. You think, okay, who am I really? <laughs> yep. Yes, for sure. I found myself honestly thinking, who is Brandy Wilson? Like, what is life going to look like? What do I enjoy? What do I, and I'm a, I am a two on the Enneagram two with a three wing. And I'm just, it's one thing I'm good at is I take care of people. I'm a great supporter. So I had done that for so long. I've forgotten who I was. Yeah. And I think too, I don't know about you, but reversing those roles and needing support versus giving support is very uncomfortable. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to ask for help. And I'm still learning that. I am definitely better at it, but that is something I'm still learning. And the people who know me will at times force me to ask for help because they know that that's what I need to learn to do and get right. doing. So, and also asking for space, asking yes. for space is a hard one in that same. Yeah. So how has God protected and provided for you over the last really six years? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it is a list that would be hard to just, you know, verbally share as far as, because it's a long list. And I think 
One of the things I didn't expect, Rachel, is the way that God showed me he loved me in big ways and in super small ways. I love that God is a God of the details. And I really did feel him show up and and um not just feel him. I could feel his presence. I knew that he was aware. I knew he was listening to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the time I was spending with him and then what the rest of my day was looking like and how things were unfolding. So God's provision was huge. I think one of the first things he did is he reminded me that I was not parenting alone. Um, as a single mom, it is really overwhelming. And um, my kids have been impacted by the loss of the church. Um, they did not know that their dad had resigned from the church until the entire church knew and probably most of Nashville and a lot of the United States because of social media. Um, I had taken their phones so that we could tell them afterwards when we had some time. So that was really crushing. But my kids, um, a therapist told me once that my kids experienced two divorces, the divorce of their parents and the divorce from the only church they had ever known. So I think for me, the biggest weight I was carrying is, are my kids going to be okay? You know, I titled the book Better Than Okay, because I feel like when someone comes to me to talk about divorce, the first question they have is, am I going to be okay? And I found myself saying, you're going to be better than okay. But the second question is, will my kids be okay? And that was a question I was asking. And I had this moment during a quiet time, and it was in the it was still in the separation. I don't think the divorce was final yet. And I just felt so overwhelmed knowing that I had to carry the spiritual weight of my family and I had to lead it alone and I had to guide my kids alone. And I was reading in Joshua where the Israelites, after 40 years of wondering, have just gotten to the edge of the Jordan. They've been wandering in the wilderness and they've gotten to the edge of the Jordan and the Jordan is at flood stage. And on the other side of the Jordan is the promised land. And Joshua called the priest in the Ark of the Covenant to the front of that line. And because typically the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle so that all the Israelites could see the spirit of God. So he called the the priest carrying the Ark to the front of the line. And he told them to, you know, make the first step into the Jordan. And the Bible says that when the priest put his foot, the first priest put his foot, first foot into the Jordan, that the water piled up in a heap of protection and that they were allowed to move forward on dry, solid ground. And I think when I looked at my parenting, as I was reading that story, I thought everything was my job. I thought it was my job to, you know, lead my kids through the wilderness. I thought it was my job to give them the pep speech to take their first step into the water. I thought it was my job to hold back the heap of water of protection. I thought it was my job to, you know, carry the ark into the center of the um, Jordan. And I thought it was my job to actually lead them to the promises of their life on the other side. And I was reading that that day and I just felt God say like, Brandy, you're doing a whole bunch of things that aren't your job. Like Mm -hmm. it is my job to get your kids through the wilderness. It is Mm -hmm. my job to get them to the edge of the Jordan. It is my job to give them the faith to take the first step. It's my job to hold back the waters and protect your children. It's Mm -hmm. my job to lead them across to the promises I have for their life. Your job is to have a relationship with me. 
Yeah. Your job is to let your kids see you love me. Your job is to hold the promises of my kingdom in your life so that your kids can see the overflow of that. And in that moment, Rachel, it was very clear that God was telling me, you might be a single mom, but you are not parenting alone. Right. And that yeah, such a peace that I don't have to do it all because I was exhausted emotionally, mentally, physically. I was exhausted, yet I wanted to get it right with my kids. So one of the biggest provisions God gave me is just the message very early on that I might be a single mom, but I'm not parenting alone. And I think that reminder that, you know, I did... I had always been taught I'd never walked through anything quite this tragic, but I believe that God could use pain for purpose. We hear that all the time. We're told that it's not a lot of fun. Let's just be honest. It's usually said as an encouragement thing. And you're like, mm, I don't want to hear that. However, I knew that that God was capable of that. And then it was the realization of like, if I believe God can use my pain for purpose, I also have to depend on him to do his will in my kids' lives as well. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Um, I think, oh yeah, that's so true. I, one of the hardest things for parents is not playing the Holy Spirit in the lives of our children, <laughs> because that that burden of you know what you've just described in the story of Joshua and um, how you applied that in your own life, that burden of trying to be the Holy Spirit for our kids yeah. is not one we're. It's not a role we're supposed to have. No, it's, we end up getting um, in God's way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So good. That was excellent. I would concur with God's protection and provision because that's such a prominent part of my story as well. But I'm shifting just a little bit to wonder how did you really navigate? And these are two different levels. You can answer them separately, but one is the trauma and the second is the grief. Yeah. Because the combination of those two pieces, trauma does such a number on your brain. It causes you not to be able to function. Yes. It makes you unable to think. You start dropping things and you're wondering why things, why you're dropping things and why you're forgetting things. And so I would love for you to share with us a little bit about walking through the trauma and grief and how you really navigated that. Yeah. Well, you know, they are two separate things and I will respond to it separately. The one thing that I will tell you I did with both is I had really great therapist. My therapist was awesome. I saw her on a regular basis. I also did an intensive about a year after my divorce at onsite um, called Living Centered, which was great for me to be able to really dig in and process. And the reason I did it is because I knew that any work I did on myself directly impacted my kids. Mm -hmm. So it impacted their healing from the trauma. It impacted their healing from the grief. So um, a friend of mine who's also a therapist said early on, your child's resiliency is directly impacted by their parents' ability to own their story, understand their story, and communicate their story. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I'm kind of a, you know, emotional health junkie. Um, I didn't realize that until I got divorced, but I love just, I think emotional health is so important in how we integrate ourselves into all relationships, whether that's as a parent, as a girlfriend, as an employee, like your emotional health matters. And I like to dig in and figure like what, figure out what is the pattern of why I'm doing this and how could that communication have been healthier and what habits feel familiar that I am clinging to that I need to let go of. So that is kind of like the overarching, I knew my response to the trauma and grief directly impacted my kids. And then I also knew that I could not do that by myself. So I needed to have the guide of a really healthy therapist to get me through that. So when it comes to trauma, I will tell you one thing that was super helpful for me is to actually understand why I was experiencing some of the trauma that I was experiencing. So not long after Well, actually, in the course of my divorce, my therapist gave me a book and I started reading it and I wasn't ready for it. It was too hard. And I kept that book. And once I got divorced and had some space between me, I actually read that book. And it was huge for me in regards to the trauma and healing from it and figuring out. For me, I like to know the why. Now, I'm just going to say as followers of Christ and just humans. We don't always know the why. So that is, we can't always get there. But for me, it was really important to try to figure out how the person I'd fallen in love with had gotten us to this point. So she she gave me a book called Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men by Lundy Bancroft. And Lundy is a male therapist who works in Um, abuse scenarios, verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. And he had worked with abuse for 20 years and he just kind of breaks down the mind Um, medically. He breaks it down. Um, So it's kind of a heady book, but it helped me understand and clearly see ways I had been manipulated, gaslighted, the thinking might have been behind it. So it just gave me some clarity and framework and honestly, Rachel, validation, because I think when you're in a situation like that, that is so dysfunctional and you're being told you're unstable, you're crazy, you probably need to get a therapist and you're being led to believe that those things are true about yourself. It's really hard to discern like what is reality because this this person I love saying these things to me. So what is the reality? And then what are, why is it happening? And, and for someone to clearly say like, this is what gaslighting looks like. If you experience this, you have been gaslighted. Just felt like validation of I'm not crazy. Right. Everything I was experiencing yeah. was true. I did walk through the emotional and verbal abuse that I felt like I was walking through. And it just kind of gave me words to understand it and to explain it. Now, it was a process and there are ways I'm still healing from some of that trauma and learning to function in more healthy patterns. But that was a big jumping point for me, for me to be validated in the way I had been treated and to understand how wrong that was. Yeah. So navigating the trauma, you really took a very analytical approach and you just dissected it. You made sure that you were getting therapy, but you also picked up a book. But you did mention the timing of the book. So yes. um, 
you know, I don't know how much of my story, you know, but there has been a lot of grief in my life. I lost my mom to leukemia, lost my daughter at 22 years of age um, from a mucopolysaccharidosis, which is a lysosomal storage disease that is neurologically degenerative. And then in the last year, I lost both my dad and my father-in-law, great men of God. Um, And so so walking through grief, you mentioned that you had this window of time where you weren't ready. Yeah. And I would just like to ask you as, as a girlfriend, you know, this is not part of your standard interview questions. Maybe, right. In that six month period, how did you determine when you were ready? What part of that time frame did you finally say, okay, I think I can pick this back up? And was it a book where you you grabbed it and you read a little bit and then you put it down and processed for a while or were you really ready and you could dive into it? So during that kind of window of when I wasn't ready, my dogs are being terrible. Oh, it's okay. It's part of life. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying to like, stop, girls, stop. I apologize. They've never done this before. Usually they're ready for nap time. When I start talking to someone, they're like, oh, she took us outside and we walked and now. So (laughs) it's so funny. I have three sons who are 22, 19 and 17, and I have two female dogs. And I'm like, the dogs are the most high maintenance members of the family. (laughs) And they're showing it right now, Rachel. So I apologize. Um, During that window of not being ready to actually pick up that book and read it and maybe not even being willing to figure out what had happened. I think for me, I did handle the trauma analytically and I also began to process it in writing in my journal. I always, I've always enjoyed writing. I actually have a master's in teaching elementary school kids to write. That had always been like a place that I knew I could express myself, but I had not regularly journaled. And as I told you, my life had shrunk. I had way more free time than I wanted. And pretty quickly, I picked up a journal and just started recording. It actually started... um it actually started after a really terrible counseling session when we were, when I thought we were still trying to reconcile, I was still working toward reconciliation. I was still working toward restoration. And a lot of things had been said to me about me that I knew weren't true. And I got in my minivan and I put my head on the dashboard and I just cried. And Mm -hmm. I went home that day and I pulled out my journal and I wrote at the top things I know to be true about me. And that was, you know, that was helping me deal with the grief and the trauma because I was recognizing the things I'm being told aren't true. And now they're being said in front of a third party. So writing quickly became a solace for me to be able to dump out what I was feeling, to be able to dig into the grief, to be able to process things that I I wasn't willing to say out loud. I had more privacy than I probably wanted. So I wrote a lot. I still write almost every single day, like stream of conscious, gratitude, prayer. It looks very different now than it used to, but yes, I still write all the time. And I think writing is kind of what I did during that six months before I could pick up that book. That was part of the healing process that honestly, I didn't know I was going to need, nor did I know that something as simple as writing was going to help fix that. 
So I think one of the things we underestimate, and I have paid a lot of money for therapy and a lot of money for intensives, I would spend it all over again. One of the things I did not expect to happen is to be able to use my words in my healing and our words are free. So I think for me, part of that was I I was getting therapy once a week. And then I was also able to, in between those therapy sessions that were huge, I was spending the time writing and processing and looking at life through the words that I was dumping into the pages of my journal. I needed somebody to to process this with. And honestly, Rachel, because I had gotten so disconnected with self, that really allowed me to get to know myself again, mm-hmm. to start speaking up for what I wanted on the pages of my journal. But yeah. still, it was the first time I had done that in a really long time. So it provided this avenue to be able to feel my emotions to recognize, oh, Brandy is still in there and to allow her to start coming out. So I could walk into that process of grief when I was ready for it. Sure. And those prayer journals that you're you're talking about in the journaling, and there was a lot of different types of journaling there, you're processing your gratitude, but in the prayer portion, because I, I talk so much about prayer on the podcast, I would love for you to just give us an outline maybe of what your prayer looked like at the beginning and what those prayers look like now, because it's so fun to, to see yeah. the journey, yes. isn't it? I mean, yes. it's painful. It's painful yes. to go back and look at the journey, but then you see the progression of where, where you were and where God has you now. Yeah. So I would love for you to share about the prayers a little bit. Yeah, the prayer started out super simple. Honestly, it it started as prayers of gratitude because I had this realization, and this is like the week after my ex-husband resigned. I remember being at home and having this realization of like, okay, nothing around me feels good, but I believe God is still good. So how can I find the goodness of God around me when nothing else feels good? So I started just with thanking God for three to five things every day. And that was it. I mean, it was short, simple, sweet. And it would be, you know, things like there was a beautiful sunset or the boys and I had ice cream on our porch tonight. There was one point where I wrote, I got a new hairdryer, which feels like a reach, but I think that word new I just so needed to cling to God's promises that there would be new in my life. So those prayers started really simply as just acknowledging God's goodness in the midst of so much tragedy in my life. Um, And, and then I did start to expand and I started, you know, asking for things that I knew the boys and I needed. I started sharing the wounds that I knew needed healing. I started praying specifically over my kids and, and how they relate to the church and then how they relate to God and those relationships. So it started simply with gratitude and has definitely grown. I will tell you one of the things I did about a year ago um, that you kind of alluded to in the beginning of this question was churches 
not been easy since I left Crosspoint and just figuring out where do I fit. And I'm outside of Nashville and Franklin, and there are lots and lots of churches. And it's also hard to find a place that feels like home. So um, I have since landed in during COVID, a home church started in my neighborhood and um, with some people that I love and trust. And I have been part of that church for a little over two years. But even being part of that church, I hadn't handed over my heart to that church. So one of the things I was able to do is I started going through my journal and finding the dates of this is when I started praying for specifically for a church that had intentional community. I identified what I, the one thing that I was missing in church um, and I was looking for intentional community. And then I just recorded when I had lunch with my now pastor's wife, we got together to talk about parenting because I had a kid go to college before she did. And at the very end of that conversation, I asked something about church and she said, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I think we're going to start a church. So I had kind of just started praying for them. Then I had started. um, I remember the first time I went to an informational meeting was in there because I'm processing how I feel with God um, in regards to church and where he wants me, because I still believe in the power of the local church. I still love the big C church. I am very clear on a person hurt me. The church did not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was able to go back in timeline from that first conversation that I had with the pastor's wife early on to, you know, it was, I think, 18 months later, there was a big storm in Nashville and I woke up and had, I live, my house is as old as I am. We both have a lot of wrinkles and um, I woke up and I have really massive trees in my yard, which is one of the benefits. And one and a half of those trees were down and even resting on the steps that lead up to my my house. So very close to hitting the home. And I didn't know what to do. And there was this moment where I knew because I still have relationships with Crosspoint and love them and cheer them on. I could call people, men from Crosspoint to come over with chainsaws and take care of it. And then I felt like God saying like, you have been asking for something new and I'm trying to give it to you. And you're trying to go back and breathe life into what Ooh. is dead. So I, I battled like, do I call my old church? Do I call my new church? Wow. And I called the pastor of the new church. And he's one of those people who forces me to say when I need help. And he just said, like, what do you need? And I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, okay, what do you need? Do you need help? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, I'll advocate for you if you're willing, but you have to say it first. And I said, I think I need help. He said, great, we'll be there at two o'clock. And I legitimately felt like the passing of, you know, the baton of my heart from what was old to the new that God was offering me. And And that was a game changer. So after that moment, I went back and I timelined in my journal, like the eight different steps, because I'd kind of been like one foot in, one foot out. Like, I think this is what I want, but man, commitment feels really difficult right now. And it was the point where I could see God taking me through this timeline of preparing my heart and getting me ready for what he was offering me so that I could accept it in my timing and the timing that he had for me. Mm -hmm. So that's such a faith builder for me to say, okay, man, I didn't know that that conversation at Tzatziki's over a Greek salad was going to impact my life the way it has 18 months later. Yeah. 
And it hasn't been that long ago. 18 months is not really that long of a period. So I think that that might be an encouragement to some of our listeners, knowing that it doesn't have to be years on end for you to um, see a journaling process that comes to fruition in your life. And that part is what is encouraging to me about journaling that you can look back. I, I always joke to people that um, I go back to some of my early prayer journals in 2002. Um, I, my son was born. And so he, my oldest son, and he at age three was still struggling with potty training. And so in my prayer journals, I have this whole thing. (laughs) Yes. And I always tell people, guess what? He's 21 and he's potty trained. Go figure. Yes. Your prayers, your petitions and your potty training woes. Yes. Bring them all to God. Oh, man. Well, what would you say to the younger Brandy? Because I know that there are so many listening who are like, yeah, that's me right now. Or a lot of people listening probably have a sister, an aunt, a friend who are walking through divorce. And when you're sitting in the middle of that brokenness with a broken marriage, with broken dreams, with a broken heart, what would you say to the younger Brandy? And what would you advise Um, anyone listening who's struggling with this issue of processing a divorce, what would you say to them to encourage their hearts right now? Yeah, I think I would, honestly, this is a very simple piece of advice, but I think the reality of you can only take one day at a time. Mm -hmm. I think I've always been a planner, Rachel, and I kind of like to know what's coming and 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 just have an overview. I don't have to have every detail plan, but if I have an overview of what to expect, then I can, you know, figure it out. And as I said earlier, when you're walking through a divorce, there are more questions than there are answers. Right. Um, and I think for me, I would get so overwhelmed when I started thinking about where are the kids and I going to live in six months? And um, how are my kids going to feel about the church when they're adults? And uh, how am I going to afford two kids in college in six and a half years? So I had to really shrink down and and just recognize I have to take one day at a time. What can I do today to take care of myself and my kids? And that's what I had to focus on. And obviously, you need to think about your future. However, at the same time, not to the point where it overwhelms you. Right. You just need to, and it's those days where you don't want to get out of bed and you're crying all day and functioning is difficult. You just have to get through that one day, right? Celebrate right. the fact you got through that one day before you move on to the next one. Reminds um, me so much. Um, my first traditional book was one more step finding strength when you feel like giving up. And that really is the premise of the entire book is that you don't have to have the whole picture outlined when you're first getting up in the morning and the overwhelm slaps you in the face, the reality of waking up and realizing you've lost a child, you've lost a parent, you've lost a spouse, that part of losing a spouse. I can't imagine the death of a spouse itself, but in some respect, divorce feels like the death of a spouse because everything that you knew stops. And then The other angle is you don't know how much of what you thought is actually true or was actually true. So that 
that's torture. That piece of it really can torture your mind. I appreciate the one more step mentality so much. Yes, and I appreciate yeah. you being here. I wanted to show everyone my book did not come yet, but I, this cover is so oh, awesome. Thanks. So I printed out the cover so that everyone could see it better than okay. Finding hope and healing after your marriage ends. Brandy, thank you so much for Thank sharing for with our listeners. Me. Could you tell us all the places, and I will include these links in the show notes. I'll make sure I put the Amazon link in the show notes as well. But could you tell us all the places where you would prefer that people contact you? Yes, they can find me on my website, which is lovebrandywilson.com. And Brandy is with an I. Um, I have more information there about kind of what I do. I work as a certified coach and an author and speaker and also work full-time with leading and loving it. And then on Instagram, I am also love Brandy Wilson and um, I can be on Facebook as Brandy Wilson. So any of those places, it, it I'm a little behind in DMs, but one of my goals today is to work on those DMs, Rachel. Wow. So I'm trying to catch up. Well, thank you so much again. And we will include all of those links in the show notes. Brandy, have a great day. God bless. Thanks for sharing your ministry with us. We wish you the best. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.